As we open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on earth your Son reminded us of your truth that it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Father, feed us now with your word incarnate, our Lord Jesus Christ, and give us life in him, for we pray in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here this morning where we've been considering a series through the book of Proverbs. So we've come to Proverbs chapter 2. And we're going to read all of chapter 2 this morning and make that the subject of our sermon. So Proverbs chapter 2, and we'll read all the verses. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words. Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death. And her paths to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. As we've been going through this book of wisdom, it's been interesting to see the different voices that speak. Um, We began the book thinking about the voice of the king, introducing how the book would go, and then a father to his son, and then wisdom herself speaking directly, um, personified as speaking to God's people. And now we return again to the father. Again, we have another lecture from the father to his son, another speech that the father is giving his son, urging him to walk in the path that leads to life. Uh, The father is urgent that his son would find this path, 
that he would walk on this path, that he would find the blessings to be enjoyed on this path. Uh, That's what the father wants for his son. Um, And of course, the father speaking to the son is God speaking to all of his children to tell us what his will for our lives is and what he would have us do. And so this is a very important speech that the father gives to the son. Uh, Tells him, if you want to walk in the path that leads to life, what must you understand? Well, the first thing the son must understand are the conditions that need to be met, the things he must do to begin on that path. So that's the first thing we see is the conditions to be met. The second thing the father wants to do is encourage the son with the consequences to be enjoyed. What do you enjoy when you find this path and walk on it with the Lord? Uh, The tremendous blessings that come. Um, And so the, the consequences to be enjoyed, the father wants the son to understand. Um, And finally, he wants him to understand the conclusion to be anticipated, uh, where this road to life will lead him, and what he can anticipate not just now, but forever. And so it's a wonderful speech that is laid out here. Uh, This is a text that reminds us that the Holy Spirit is an artist. It's beautifully laid out in equal parts with three verses each, and we could spend a lot of time just thinking about the beauty of what the Holy Spirit has done in this passage um, and exalt that. Uh, But we want to think about this passage and what it directs our thinking to, that we might find the paths of life, that we might understand the conditions that need to be met, the consequences that are to be enjoyed, and the conclusion that's to be anticipated. Um, For those three points, I'm indebted to Dr. Bruce Waltke and his fine commentary on Proverbs. Uh, So if you ever have occasion to be reading his commentary on chapter 2 and you say, hey, wait a minute, conditions, consequences, and conclusion, I've seen that before. Uh, Yeah, I'm telling you right now. I'm giving him the credit. Um, But I I didn't think I could improve on that, so I wanted to stick to uh, what he did in his fine work uh, outlining this passage. So the first thing the father tells the son is about the conditions that need to be met if he's going to walk the path to life, the things that are crucial for him to do. This is an urgent plea from the father to the son. He's aiming to persuade him of something that's very important. The things that he must do if he really wants to walk in wisdom's way. Um, And the urgency is kind of stepped up from the father's previous speech. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 8, how did the father begin? Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And and there his point was, listen to me, not these other voices that will speak. The voices of sinners will try to entice you to join their gang. Um, There he wanted the, the son to listen. Here he kind of ramps up what he wants the son to do. It's not, listen to me, but receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. I want you not only to hear, but I want you to accept what I'm saying to you. And then he escalates the urgency by saying, you need to store these things up. Uh, You need to store them up like they're treasure. Uh, Store up and treasure up are sort of the same thing in Scripture. It means to regard something as so important you will hold on to it and you'll keep it with you. Uh, You'll store it up and keep it with you. You'll almost memorize these things. So you'll have them at at the tip of your tongue and on your fingertips that when you face the different things that are going on in life, you'll have them right there to use. Uh, So these things are tremendously practical in the life of the son. Uh, Treasure them up. Accept them, what I'm saying to you. It's the same sense that Psalm 119.11 uses that same word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The father is urgent with the son. He wants to persuade him to accept 
these words, to treasure them up, to store them up, to keep them with him where he goes. And then verse 2 explains how he's supposed to do that. Um, The verses follow explain more how he is to do that. What does the father say to the son? How do you need to respond to my words and to this wisdom? You need to receive wisdom worthily. And you need to seek wisdom diligently. Those are the conditions that the father wants the son to meet. Receive wisdom worthily. What was the problem with the simple-minded who loved their simple-mindedness that we saw at the end of chapter 1? Their problem was when wisdom called out to them, they wouldn't have it. Remember wisdom's complaint in, in chapter 1, 24 and 25. I, you know, I called to you and you wouldn't listen. I stretched out my hand to you. You wouldn't take it. I offered you counsel. You ignored it. I offered you rebuke. You refused it. I, I was trying to call out to you and you wouldn't take it. Everything I offered you refused to receive. And the Father here is saying, don't be like that. When wisdom offers you something, when it comes to you, take it. Listen to what it has to say. And verse 2 really clarifies how this is to be done. How do we receive wisdom worthily? Well, it's by making our ear attentive to wisdom and inclining our hearts to understanding. That's how we know wisdom. That's how we receive it worthily, by listening to it, by paying attention to it, paying attention to the voice that's speaking. And you'll notice that close connection between the ear and the heart. Listen to the voice that's speaking and incline your heart to it. Um, That has a sense of let your heart be drawn to these words. We might put it in our terms and say lean into it. But it has that sense of incline your heart to it. Let Let your heart listen to it. Allow your heart to be taken up with these words. The heart in the Old Testament always talks, it's the core of your being. It's what everything flows out of. That's why it's crucial that wisdom not just come in the ears, but get down into the heart and form and mold the heart. Because if the heart is formed and molded by wisdom, that will shape how all of life works out. Right? This is, again, not wisdom just kind of talking pie in the sky, ivory tower of theories about knowledge. This for the Father and the Son for us is intensely practical that we incline our ears to what the Lord says and that we allow our hearts to be shaped by it, that we lean into it. Uh, That's what it means to receive wisdom worthily, to hear it and to allow it to shape who we are. So there's a sense in which the father says to your son, to his son, you have to receive it. There's a kind of passive, even though we've seen there's some activity even in the receiving But there's that sense of it where you're to receive it. But then the Father says, and you're also to go out and seek for it diligently. Um, You're to receive it with your ears and with your heart, but you're actually to go out and to seek wisdom as well. Seek wisdom diligently. And how do we do that? Well, it's interesting. The first thing the Father says you need to do is pray. We see that in verse 3 of chapter 2. Yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, right? Pray for it. Call out to wisdom. Call out to wisdom that you want to know it. 
that you want to hear it. Again, think back to the end of chapter 1. What was the problem with some of the people there? Is that wisdom said, I called and I called and I called, and you never wanted to pick up the phone. And then when you wanted to talk to me, it was too late. Remember that? They called out, but wisdom said, no, now it's too late. The day of salvation is over. It's too late now for you to call out. Here the father is saying, seize the day, son. Today is the day of salvation. Call out for wisdom. Call out for insight. Right? God and wisdom are sort of interchangeable because wisdom is God's wisdom. And so to call out for wisdom is to call out to God for it. And you see the importance of this, to, to call out to God that we might receive these things. Uh, to pray while the time is still near and to call out urgently for it. Just like we saw wisdom going out and standing in the high places and crying out, how are we to respond? By crying out to wisdom, crying out to God, seeking to find it more and more. We're to pray for it, the Father says, and we're to pursue it. Pursue it like you would buried treasure. Um, boys and girls, that's a pretty vivid image, isn't it? Buried treasure. Um, if someone came to you and gave you a treasure map and said, you know what we found out? There's treasure buried in your backyard. There's treasure buried in your backyard. There's a huge box full of gold and jewels and silver and all kinds of stuff. What would you do? You might not wait till the end of church. Um, you want to run home and start digging in the backyard. Find that treasure. Um, and God says wisdom is like that treasure. It's out there. We need to dig for it, find it, search for it like you'd search for treasure. Because it has great value. It has great value for our lives. We see that this pattern of seeking wisdom was lived out in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see so many evidences of the wisdom that he, that he had in this life. He gave so many examples of how he had treasured up the word of his father. It's not, it's not just you know, showing off or, or inconsequential that when the Lord faced temptation, he answered with the word. He was able to say, it is written, and go to places where the word specified how he should live. It's not coincidental that when he was suffering most grievously in body and soul on the cross, that the cries that rang out from him were filled with the language of Scripture. Think of how he would have, I mean, it's almost unimaginable, but think of how it would be to be there and not have the ability to give voice to what you were experiencing. But what allowed him to give voice to what he was experiencing? It was the word that he had treasured in his heart. To have the words to cry out, to express the torment of his soul. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To, to pray in confidence at the end of his life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Taking up again the words of the psalmist. He had stored up the wisdom of his father in his heart. He had called out for it. He was regularly in prayer with his father. He shows every evidence of having diligently sought it because he understood the value of it and he understood the consequences that would be enjoyed when you found it. That's what the father says to the son. These conditions are so important to meet, to receive wisdom worthily and to seek it diligently because of the consequences you enjoy if you find it. 
What comes to those who find wisdom? What are the consequences that are enjoyed by those who find wisdom? They are great. The text lays them out. Divine revelation is yours. Divine protection is yours. Divine deliverance is yours if you find the Lord. Divine revelation is one of the great promises of wisdom. Those who find wisdom, the Father says, find knowledge of God himself. Think of that in verse 5. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. What is the great promise of wisdom? You'll know God. You'll know God himself. Um, what, what a thing it is to know God. To know who he is. To know what he's like. To know what he promises to do for his people. That's what faith is. It's knowing God. Knowing the one in whom you've believed. One commentator said it's the personal intimacy with God that comes through obedience to his word. The personal intimacy with God that comes through obedience to his word. And this commentator had in mind the story of Samuel. And Samuel is called by the Lord. You might remember that when Samuel was a little boy, he heard a voice calling to him at night. And thought it was Eli, the high priest, and went and said, yes, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Then he heard a voice again calling him, same thing, went to Eli. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And we read something very interesting in 1 Samuel 3, 7 through 10. Because we all know that, well, most of us who know this story well know that Samuel goes back to Eli a third time. But here's what God's word tells us before Samuel goes back that third time. Read in 1 Samuel 3, 7 to 10. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. We have playing out exactly what the Father had said in the first four verses. Samuel didn't know the Lord, but he receives the word of the Lord with an attentive ear. He inclines his heart to God. To hear what the Lord will say. And he calls out to God. Speak Lord for your servant is listening. And what happens? He comes to know God. He knows the Lord. The covenant God who has revealed himself. And that's why what's told us about Samuel is so important. He did not know the Lord because the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. But Samuel came to know the Lord. Because the word of the Lord was revealed to him. And that changed his life forever. He sought the Lord all the days of his life. He walked diligently with his God. So much so that he can get to the end of a public career and say to God's people, does anyone have anything to accuse me of? And they said, no, we don't. It all began with the knowledge of God. With the revelation of God's word. 
And that's the wonderful promise that those who are attentive will come to know him because God reveals himself to them. Right? Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. The word is God breathed out, Paul tells Timothy. God breathes out his word. And what happens when he breathes it out? People come to know him. So yes, we have to receive it. Yes, we have to seek it. But it's the Lord who gives it. That's why those who seek it find it. We come to know him because he reveals himself to us. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding to his people. And there's a beautiful part of verse 7 where he says, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's been treasuring up sound wisdom to give to his people. That sound wisdom that he wants us to treasure up, he's been treasuring up to give it. It's, it's a personal gift he's holding back for his people. And he gives it. And when he gives it, we know him. We know God. We know the God we serve. We know his son, Jesus Christ. It's this glorious revelation. And we don't just, we don't just have the revelation of our God, but we understand his ways, his will. That's the second thing the Father celebrates about this divine revelation. It's not just to know God, but it's to know God's way, to know God's will. That's what was promised in verses 9 and 10. That you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. Right? Proverbs 1.3 had told us this is one of the purposes of the book, that people might know this. And the Father said, you will know these things. You'll be able to discern every good path. That'll be the gift of God to you. You will know His ways. Why? How will He know these things? Verse 10 tells us, for wisdom will come into your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. What do we need is not just to hear the word, but for the word to live in our hearts. And that's the promise that God's ways will not only be known to his people, but they'll dwell in our hearts. We'll not just know his ways, but we'll love his ways. We'll delight in them. They will be pleasant to our souls. Um, Just like Psalm 19 tells us that, More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey, like the drippings from the honeycomb. That's what the word of God becomes to those who know him and know his ways. They don't just know it, they delight in it. They love it. It's pleasant to them. The Father's saying, that's what you find when you find wisdom. You know God and you know his ways. And he said, and you know, knowing God and knowing his ways, that's also what protects you in this world. It's not just a matter of divine revelation, the Father says. It's also divine protection. Those who know God, God protects. It's a wonderful truth of the last part of verse 7 into verse 8. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Those who know God, God protects. That's the wonderful testimony of Scripture. Those two things go together, a knowledge of God and the protection of God. It's that truth that's conveyed in Psalm 91, um, verses, it is in 91, but I can't find it here now. 
uh, but where God says in, in Psalm 91, I will protect him because he knows my name. The end of Psalm 91, I will protect him because he knows my name. Protection and knowing God go together. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Those things come together. I will protect him because he knows my name. The Father says those who know God, God protects. And those who know God's ways, God's ways will protect them. That's the other advantage of knowing God's way. We read that in verse 11. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Knowing God's ways will protect you in this world. The shrewdness that God teaches us will help watch over us. The understanding that God gives us will help to guard us. One of the core teachings of wisdom is keep God's commands and God and his commands will keep you. That's the wonderful basics of Proverbs. Keep God's commands and God and his commands will keep you. Um, it's a wonderful promise of divine protection and not just protection, but deliverance. Divine deliverance because there are enemies in this world from whom we need to be delivered. There's plenty that we need to be protected of in this world, but there are also enemies from whom we need to be delivered. And verses 12 through 19 introduce us to two enemies that we'll see over and over again in the book of Proverbs. The crooked man and the forbidden woman. Um, these characters will come up again and again, and it's important for us to know that we will be delivered from them by our God, by our God and by His wisdom. Because we're reminded that there are all kinds of voices speaking in the world. The Father's not the only one speaking. His words are not the only words that are going out. There are words of the crooked man going out, words of the forbidden woman that are going out. There's all kinds of noise in the world. And what is the promise of God? That wisdom will deliver you from the noise. It will help you see the truth and the way to follow your God. Wisdom will deliver you from their word. Uh, why, why is that important to know that wisdom will deliver us from them? Because what it implies is that their evil is going to pull at us in this life. That there are crooked people whose words are going to pull at God's people that are going to seek to ensnare us. Crooked men will do that. The forbidden woman will do that. They'll seek to ensnare us. And what is the promise? God will deliver us. That word is so important. It means to, to snatch away, to remove, to liberate out of any kind of being held fast. These evil characters are going to try to ensnare the people of God. And what will God and his ways do for us? They will deliver us from them. They will snatch us away. They will protect us. And how does that happen? Like how one commentator put it, when they try to seduce you to their ways, you will be able to look inward to God's implanted wisdom, maintain independence of thought, and stand up to their inveiglements. You'll be able to stand up to them. You'll be able to see through them. The way Jesus in his wisdom could see through what the devil was trying to do to him. Um, the wisdom to understand, that will, that will deliver us from them. And we need to be delivered from them because what are they both at their core? They're forsakers of the covenant. They're both called forsakers in this text. 
verse 13 and 14, calls crooked men forsakers, those who have forsaken the good and rejoice in the evil. Right? Just as we the righteous rejoice and delight in God's word, the wicked men rejoice in doing what's evil. Uh, their ways are crooked. They have forsaken the covenant of their God. The forbidden woman, too, is a forsaker. In verse 17, she forsakes her husband, the companion of her youth. She forsakes the covenant of her God. They're forsakers. They're covenant breakers. And that's why we need to be delivered from covenant breakers because if we come into covenant, into company with covenant breakers, where does covenant breaking end? It ends in death. Right? The, the terrible note on the, the forbidden woman that comes in 18 and 19, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. What is this deliverance from? It's deliverance from death. That's what wisdom does for the people of God. It delivers them from death. And again, where better can we look than to the Lord Jesus Christ to see how wisdom delivered him from death? And at what confidence that should give us to know that the Spirit of Christ is at work in us. The one who avoided every temptation and always lived in service of his God to know that that same spirit is at work in us. That as Paul, Paul can say to the people of God, there's no temptation that you can't escape because that same spirit of Christ, that wisdom to deliver is at work in you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and 14, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's a way out. There's a way of escape. Wisdom will deliver us. Wisdom will deliver us from falling in to the trap. It will also deliver us if we've been taken in. I think probably all of us as Christians read that verse and say, why don't I do that more often? I find that when temptation faces me, I stumble into it. And I don't take the way of escape that God offers. But there too is the hope of God's people that that same delivering Lord will deliver his people out of them. That God will deliver those he loves. Sure, now I've found Psalm 91. Um, that's where I had it in my notes. Um, God will deliver us because he loves us, because we know his name. Um, God will deliver us. That's why John can write in 1 John 2, little children, beloved, I write these to you so you won't sin. That's his goal. That's what wisdom and, and the God of wisdom can deliver us from. The next sin is not inevitable. We can't avoid it. But what does John go on to say in 1 John 2? I write these things to you so that you don't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Wisdom and wisdom's God will deliver us. That's the consequence to be enjoyed, and that's why the Father can be so sure of where this path ends. What is the conclusion to be anticipated by those who find 
the path of wisdom. It's the promise of verses 21, 20 and 21. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. So if you find this way, what can you conclude? That you'll walk with the Lord every day of your life and you'll live with the Lord in his land forever. The land in the Old Testament stood for the Lord and all of his blessings. To live in the land meant to live under the protection of your God. In a land where he provided you everything you needed. A land flowing with milk and honey. Where God dwelt and made his name to dwell and you dwelled with him in that land. It was the Old Testament picture of everything that God promised. And we know in the New Testament it was a a picture of that heavenly promised land. Where we are provided for everything we need, body and soul forever where we dwell under the Lord's protection and with the presence of our God forever. It's a glorious hope held out to the people of God. That those who find God find this future. To truly know Him and to love Him and to live with Him to His praise and glory forever. To see Jesus face to face and to be like Him. That's glory. That's what awaits those who find wisdom. And that's why it's so awful to miss it. Uh, to miss what it promises. There's sort of a, a mirror image of this passage and our last passage. The last passage is almost all judgment and one verse of hope at the end. This, this passage is almost all hope and one verse of judgment at the end. To remind us of the terrible fate of the wicked. That the wicked will be cut off from the land. And the treacherous, the forsakers, will be rooted out of it. There's no room for the wicked in this blessed land. They're judged for their sins and they're removed because they're a threat to God's beloved people. One commentator called this excommunication by extermination. It's a horrible fate. And why do we escape it? We escape it because the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off from the land of the living and was rooted out of it for our sins that we might never be rooted out of the land, that we might dwell in it forever. By God's grace, we'll talk more about that this evening. But let's never forget the reason we can have that hope of living in that land forever and enjoying the blessings of God in heaven is because the Lord took our covenant-breaking curse on himself and kept covenant so that we might be the people of integrity who inherit the land and enjoy it forever. May God help us all by his grace to find that wisdom. Open our ears and our hearts to pay attention to what the Spirit has said. Put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to know him and the power of his resurrection. That we might walk with him all our days here below and live with him in the age to come. To his praise and glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise of your word. We thank you for the illuminating presence of your Holy Spirit. We pray that we might all be given ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church, that we would have hearts that are softened, that you would remove our hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh that we might live. We thank you for your glorious promise that those who turn to you and call out to you while the day of salvation is still here will find you, 
will know you and your ways, will be protected by you and delivered out of every calamity until we reach that promised land where there is no more tears or pain or suffering anymore for the former things will have passed away. How we long to get there and how thankful we are to know that you will shepherd us on that path, that you will guard us every day of our lives and deliver us out of every evil. May we continue to give you the glory and then pray and strive that we might glorify you in all we say and do. Help us in these things we pray, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.